0: Good morning, Oakwood. Glad that you're here uh, this morning. It's so good to be able to worship together. Um, I know the Lord is blessed by that, and it also ministers to our hearts to feel His presence among us this morning and appreciate uh, the worship team, all their hard work. They're really working hard because... Uh, without a worship minister right now, they're doing everything. And, uh, and so just be praying for them. They're doing a great job. We just really, really appreciate them and the work they're doing to bring an awesome uh, time of praise to us every Sunday morning. So uh, if you're here this morning, it's a good time uh, to be coming to church, to be a part of Oakwood. We're starting a brand new series today called Guardrails. Now, if you're an oldie here at Oakwood, and maybe you're saying, well, I've been here a lot of years, uh, you may say, Guardrails, that sounds familiar. Do we do, have we done a series on that? Uh, yes, it's actually been almost eight years ago. Uh, We did a series called uh, Guardrails be kind of similar to this, Uh, updated it, got some different perspectives, different things on it. Uh, But it's one of those things that I think uh, you can't say enough, and sometimes we need to revisit things that we've done before and kind of do a check here. And this is a great series to do a spiritual checkup in your life, to say, hey, am I really in the faith? Am I really following God? Am I really going His direction? And is it to the point where I can actually establish his guardrails in my life and go his direction. Because I think sometimes when we don't, we have this thing called regret. How many of you um, have any regrets in life? Any regret? You've ever said something, done something, show me your hand this morning. If you have any regrets in life, those of you who got your arms crossed right now, uncross your arms right now and raise your hand because I'm regretting that you're crossing your arms. You're probably I oh, know. But we live that way, right? I mean, isn't that the truth? We can think back to a time in our life, and maybe it's just one, where we say, man, you know what? I regret that I did that. I regret that I said that. I I regret that I exemplified that before someone. I, I, I mean, we go through a time in life where we have regrets. And it really begs another question for us this morning. Is regret avoidable? Is there such a thing as avoidable regret? Like, is there something we could have done that would make us not live this life with this regret from the past, this thing that we did, this thing that we said? If we had lived to God's standards completely, if we had really done and lived out what the Scripture said, if we had actually practiced the truth in which we proclaimed that we believed in, if we actually went God's direction in life, could we avoid regret? Regret. I think the answer is absolutely yes. We can avoid regret in life if we live God's way, if we move His direction now we need to uh, s- begin this series talking about and understand what guardrails are now now here's the thing is um, if, I th- if I say guardrail probably a visual image comes to your mind I went to a Norman uh, to a certain football game last night with my girls and had, had a great time but as I was uh, driving and also a passenger with my uh, my almost 18 year old that was driving us down there I was noticing guardrails just as on my mind all the time and now there's no pun intended there at all she's a great driver um, and, and, but I was noticing the guardrails, and I was noticing that there are a lot of guardrails in Oklahoma. Now, when I lived in Colorado, we had tons of guardrails there. And uh, one time, even I took this highway that went on the edge of the Black Canyon of the Gunnison. If you have ever been uh, moving toward the western slope of the Colorado Rockies, uh, you've ever been on that road, you know that is a road that needs guardrails. Because there's actually a point in that highway, and there's the, this, this guardrail is right on the edge. Whereas if you went off there, if you fell asleep, asleep at the wheel, if you slipped on the road, and the road was a little icy patch there, little snow pack there, that it's an 1,800 foot drop off right there. 1800 feet. Now, if you drive your car off something that's 1800 feet, I'm telling you, nothing good's going to come out of it. There's, there, there, you know, there will be no survivors. I mean, that is a huge, huge drop off. And so um, I'm reminded there's places like Colorado uh, where, yeah, man, guardrails, you know, but there's a lot in Oklahoma. There, there's a lot of them around Oklahoma. In fact, all the way down to Norman, noticing guardrails. And the other thing about Oklahoma that's interesting about the guardrails here is none of them look like they're in good condition. Have you you noticed that? You laugh because you know. It's like all of them have been scratched, hit, banged up. Um, I was going to Tulsa to uh, meet with a preacher friend of mine just a couple weeks ago. And on my way to Tulsa, uh, if you go on the turnpike there and you're going 75 miles per hour, imagine that. Um, They have a guardrail there in the middle that separates the the, the two lanes of oncoming traffic. But it's it's a different kind of guardrail. It's one of those that's a cabled system. And so it's got a a really thick uh, cable going through these poles. I was surprised how many times that had been hit. And you think about that, aren't you glad that was there? Because if a car at 75 miles per hour, or faster, is going down and loses control or begins to veer, they're going to end up in oncoming traffic unless they hit that cable It gets their attention and it goes back. And then that's the thing about guardrails. Guardrails are trying to protect you from something worse. And you may say, well, man, I hate guardrails because I hit my car and scratched up my car. Would you rather have a scratch on your car, and maybe it's the whole side of your car, than you would have going off the cliff or ending up in the ditch and rolling your vehicle several times or ending up in oncoming traffic. You see, those guardrails are there to protect us. They're also there to direct us and to show us the way we should go. Now, in Scripture, in God's holy word, God throughout the Bible tells us all the time the way we should go. It goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, all through the time of the Israelites, God's chosen people. They are given direction. They are given guardrails in their life. And God says, establish this here and establish this here and go this direction in life. And you will have this great life. And you'll be walking with me, and you'll have fellowship with me, and you'll feel close to me, and you're going to be where I intended you to be as your master, as your savior, as your Lord, as your boss, as your guide in life. And yet, so many of us find ourselves with no guardrails. There's nothing there. It's just maybe a line, painted line. Maybe it's the line that we've drawn in the sand. And we find out as we go through life, we get a little bit older, that life sometimes needs guardrails, guardrails from the Lord. If you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Be our text this morning. As always, uh, please follow along in our Oakwood app on your uh, device, your tablet, or your your cell phone. You're welcome to follow along there, all the scriptures in there, um, all the points from the sermon. Um, But if not, you can grab that Bible in front of you. Um, If you'll uh, just turn in that to page 816, you'll be right there at Ephesians chapter 5. And and we're going to be there in just a a minute. You know, one thing with guardrails is sometimes the regrets that we have in life... They're categorical, right? Then we can think we could have avoided regret if we had set up a guardrail relationally. If we'd had this guardrail there, financially, if we'd operated our finances the way that God says, guardrail, physically, professionally, and morally, sometimes in our marriage, sometimes even in our parenting, if we had established a hard guardrail there to guide us in life, then we'd have no regrets. But let's define guardrail, guardrail for the series this morning. A guardrail is God's standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conviction in a believer's life. Okay, that's what a guardrail is. God's standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conviction in a believer's life. Now, let me pause here for just a second and talk to uh, those of you this morning that, that maybe have not professed your faith and belief in Jesus Christ. Okay, you're, you're not saved. You've not accepted him as your Lord and Savior. I want to say welcome. We're glad you're here. Part of the reason we do service is evangelism. We want you to hear the gospel. We want you to hear about Jesus. We want you to know how much he loves you. But here's the thing you need to understand about this series. If you go away from this series and you've got these guardrails, and every week we're going to be adding to this, and next week we're going to be talking about friendships and relationships, one week we're going to be talking about marriage, um, and one week we're talking about a little bit about finances. But as you establish these guardrails in life, if you are like, I, I don't accept Christ. Or I don't accept Christ yet. Hopefully that's a decision that you're going to make. But I just live by these standards in life. And I'm I'm setting up these parameters and these guardrails guardrails in life. You will benefit. You will live a better life. You'll be living to God's standards in your life. But my fear is, is that you'll think somehow that being good will get you saved. And that's not how you're saved. You're not saved by keeping guardrails in your life. Guardrails are the evidence of God's work in your life. But sometimes, just because of willpower, because of the human spirit, because we're created in the likeness of God to make decisions on our own, we could say, hey, I'm going to live to God's standards in my life here. This is something I'm actually going to do. I'm actually going to live toward. And that'd be great. And you'll benefit from it. But it won't get you into heaven because you're only saved by grace, through faith, through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, for those of us that are saved, and, and that's the reason I define guardrails this way, is it's as God's standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conviction in a believer's life, is because these should be the rules that we live by. These should be the evidence that we're all in with God's way and his pattern in life. This should be the evidence is that we would live to these standards. We would allow God to establish these guardrails in our life, and then when we get close to them, or we scratch on them, or we they ding us, that they would be like alarms and sirens going off in our head that says, "Hey, you're going a wrong direction." It's a warning system. It's the Holy Spirit in our conscience saying, "Hey, wait a minute here. We're not going God's way if we're constantly hitting the guardrail." But at least the guardrails there because we don't end up off in the ditch. We need to understand it's only by the grace of God that we can be saved. Uh, many of you may remember the, uh, the uh, old sitcom. One of the original sitcoms ever was Father Knows Best. Does anybody in here want to raise your hand and own it that you've seen or know about Father Knows Best? Okay, I love it. It's like the hand raising gets lower. It's like, yeah. there you go, preach. There you go, just a little right there. But this was one of the original sitcom shows. It actually started in 1949. I thought it was from the 60s, but that's when the rerun started. And that was still 15 years before my time. But, um... But but when this show started, the whole idea and the premise of it was just like the title, Father Knows Best. And if you watch this show and you watch the characters in it, what happened is that they would go through situations and circumstances in life, and then they would come to Dad, and Dad was always full of wisdom. He knew the way they should go, and he would say, hey, this is what you need to do. And that was kind of the whole premise of the sitcom, one of the originals. Great show. It was on the air for many years, many reruns. That's probably how most of you have seen it. And it was because Father knows best. It's the same thing with God. I think Father knows best. He's got a lot of wisdom. He created us. He created our life. He created our world. He knows how everything works. And he knows what's best for us. And we should just go his way and do what the Bible says. Because if we do, there's some benefits for us. The first benefit is that we actually please him. We actually please him. And some of you, if you're honest this morning, that is not exciting for you. It should be. It should be exciting for me. But that's not the most exciting thing is to please God. And you would say, oh, man, I feel like a non-Christian thing there to not want to please God. We should want to please God because he loves us so much that he sent his son as a sacrifice. And we should love God so much for sending his son to be a substitute atonement for our sins. That it would just cause us to want to live and to go his way. Uh, Let me give you an example of this on the earthly, the fleshly side of things. Many of you married people in here. Many of you couples in here. Okay. Um, Go back to the time when you were just getting married. Okay. I I love that time of my marriage. I love my marriage now uh, probably better than ever, but, but I'm married to Amy and she's awesome. So props to her for putting up with me for 22 years. But She, But she, seriously, uh, our marriage has always been so strong and, and, and so good. But there are things in life that I will admit after 22 years that she wants them done a certain way. And I don't necessarily get it. And I don't actually necessarily agree with it. But I do it. Because I love her. I love her. And I want to show that I love her by doing things her way. Now, some of you married men, nod your heads that you know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay, because when you fold towels in my house, you fold them in thirds. Okay, you don't go half and half and then put it away. It goes in thirds because it just, it looks awesome. Um, and so, you know, so we fold towels in thirds, okay? We have those things in life, right? And, and, and ladies, we have to own it, our stuff too. I mean, you know, my wife is happy to help me in the yard, and yet I always say, stay out of the yard, it's my area, you know? So we all have our little things, but what, why do we fall in order with that? Why do we comply? Why do we do what the other one wishes us to do? It's because we love them the same thing with our relationship with God is when we actually do what God wants us to do we are actually pleasing to him and oh don't forget those of us that are believers were called to be in his likeness and holiness to be set apart to be different to be in a process of sanctification that's making us more like his son Jesus and he's crafting us into his image and so pleasing God is a huge benefit Look look what it says here in John chapter 14, 15. It's on the screen for you. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, like you really love me. God is speaking here. He says, if you really love me, you will keep my commandments. And 1 John chapter 2 verses 3 through 6 says this, and by this we know. How can we know, Lord? And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. If you're one of those that you're struggling with sin in your life right now and you're giving in to temptation, I know you hate these verses. Hate them. But let them sink in. Let God speak. Let God convict where he needs to convict. And by this we know that we have come to know him, that we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. It's pretty straight up, isn't it? And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is How can the love of God be perfected in us? It's because we are living for him. And by this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, that means he lives in him. He dwells in him. He's our rock. He's our dwelling place. We are with him. We are attached to him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Why? Because we're wanting to please God. Another benefit of this, though, is that we protect ourselves. That we stand a lot of circumstances and a lot of situations and a lot of sin patterns and a lot of consequences from our sinful choices if we choose to establish God's guardrails in our life. Now, let's get to Ephesians 5 this morning, our main passage, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 15. And understand that God uses guardrails to direct and protect his children, that that he's using these things for us. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 15, says this, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. You know, no one likes to be called a fool, right? Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But be filled with the Spirit. As so we begin guardrails this morning. And understand that God's using these guardrails to direct us and to protect His children. We need to understand that God has given us some guidelines here in the book of Ephesians. And, and you have to understand, in Ephesus, the culture was so bad. In fact, uh, reading backgrounds to the, to the, uh, the book of Ephesians and understanding what, what scholars say about it, they said that it was not only an immoral society, they, some scholars actually call it an amoral society, which means there's an absence of morality. Not that they're living immorality, like they're immoral, but they're just amoral, there are no standards, there are no rules. I read that and I think, wow, that's kind of like us today. Kind of like what we're fighting in our country today. I mean, I, 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 was, I was just kind of taken aback this week, um, and we're hearing you know, about different agendas and you know, different legislation, different things, and, and these gender identity issues that we have. I mean, that just seems so simple 30 years ago. It's so complex and confusing today. I mean, it really isn't, but it, it is if you go the way of the world and try to live to the world standards instead of understanding how God created us from the, from the beginning. It's really quite simple, but now it's even gone beyond gender, folks. Now there are people, this is serious, that people that identify themselves with an animal. Okay, there was somebody that's suing in court somewhere in the country. um, that I heard on the radio this week that was suing because he wants to identify as a dog, as a canine. I'm like, do we really have to go to court for this? I mean, you know. But you understand, that is the world. You gotta understand, that's the world. That's how the world lives. It lives to its own standards. See, the, the world doesn't like the consequences of sin. In fact, they would laugh at the consequences of sin in some people, but they're not going to put a guardrail there. Why not? Because guardrails are too restrictive. If they're in their lane and they're going their way in life, what are they going to put over there? A guardrail? No. Well they put a line, like one of those big thick yellow lines, like five inches thick and big yellow line to God. No. Well, what about the white line that's always dirty, so you know you can barely see it. though so the five-inch white? No. What are they going to put over there? Oh, it's going to be one of those dashed lines. No. I think the best you can get from the world is a dotted line. And the world would say, just go in and out of line as much as you want. And it's funny because the world will bait you to get right to the edge of disaster in your life and then make fun of you if you actually end up crashing. That's the way the world works. And that's why God says, establish these guardrails in life. Make them big and thick and hardy. Make them stick in the ground. Make it be something that you will notice when you rub up against it. That's what we're called to do as Christians. These guardrails are not too restrictive. These guardrails are there to direct and protect the children of God. And I know to many of you that are here this morning, you're like, yes, I get it. Yes, I've seen the benefit of it in my life when I have established guardrails before. Yes, yes, I've seen it in another person's life when they established guardrails. And yes, I've seen it in a life that had no guardrails at all. And, and, and it's, it's, it's been a, a, just a crash. It's been a wreck. They didn't set up those guardrails in their life. And so I know that most of you are saying, yes, 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 I get it, but How? ephesians 5 gives us some ideas this morning and the first one is this is that we need to live carefully live carefully look what it says there in verse 15 look carefully then how you walk when he's talking about walking there he's talking about how you live your life how you walk through your life he says be careful then look carefully then how you walk how many of you ever tripped on something there was nothing and you went back and looked for it anybody trip on a line Okay, I tripped on a line this week. I'll admit it. I'm not, you know. And I am one of those stubborn people that, man, if I trip on a line, if I'm just walking, I trip on nothing, I'm going to go back and look for it. That's just the way I roll. I like want to know. My wife's made fun of me for that before, too. It's like, what are you doing? I'm looking for what tripped me. There's nothing there. You know, it's like, okay, well, I just, uh, I just fumbled. But it's one of those things that, 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 that we, need to look at how we're walking. We need to look at where we're walking. It's one thing about sidewalks is sidewalks are longer uh, longer in life. Um, if you ever walk down a sidewalk in town that sometimes a part raises up, right? And you could trip on it, it becomes a tripping hazard. Some of them sink down, so you're kind of stepping down. And so a lot of the sidewalks are like this and the edges of them because they cut them in, you know those sections so the concrete doesn't crack. It'll start shifting, it'll start moving on you a little bit. And what's cool nowadays, and they even do this at the schools, uh, I've noticed it around schools, all the concrete around there, is they will um, actually go there and and they will grind down the concrete to make it level. And it's so that you have a smooth walking path, and you don't have to pay attention as much because, you know, okay, all all the things that were high points, low points here are all ground down. They're all level now. This is a much safer way to go. That's not the way all the roads and all the streets and all the sidewalks are in life. There's potholes. There's places that are raised up, places that are low. And he says here, be careful then and look carefully how you walk, and you need to live with this idea that life is going to need your attention. Because you can't just get into this part of life where you're just going through the motions. You actually need to be pay attention and live carefully. Look carefully, then, how you walk. And he says, not as unwise, but as wise. No one wants to be called a fool. Not as unwise, but as wise. Look what he says next. And he says, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. The second thing that we we need to do to help establish these guardrails in our life is we need to redeem the time. We need to be looking at how we're spending our time, making the best use of the time. Notice he says the time. That's the time you have left in this life, in this world, before eternity starts for you. You need to make the best use of the time because we are in the constraints of time. Everybody has the same amount of time in a day. There's 24 hours in a day. 168 hours in a week. We are under the constraints of time of when we start work, when we finish work, when we go to this meeting, when it's over, when the church service starts, when it's supposed to be over. <laughs> we, we are under the constraints of time. And he says here, we need to redeem that time. That we need to make the best use of it and, and be aware on how we're living because we're not very good at that sometimes. It says, hey, be, be aware of that because the days are evil. So many of us, we spend so much time. I mean, have you ever been distracted on a computer or phone? I mean, come on, be honest here. I, I mean, sometimes I just cringe when my wife says, hey, look at this on Facebook. And it's just like one person's post, right? But when I get on there and I look at this, so you know, do a search and, oh, okay, I'm going to look at this, this post and look at that. And what do you do? You scroll, right? Don't scroll. Just say no to scrolling, okay? Because you scroll... And then like an hour and 15 minutes later, you know everything about everyone that you didn't really want to know, didn't really care to know. But, you know, they had videos and pictures and, you know, and you go through all these emotions because you're jealous about them and their perfect life. And then you're feeling sorry for them. and You're going to pray for them. But I mean, you scroll and you can use all this time. And, and, and really God's heart is like, spend some time with me. Let's redeem the time. Let's do something spiritual together. Instead of spending time reading the paper, let's read the Word of God. Instead of spending time online and scrolling and spending that hour and 15 minutes, what if we spent that hour and 15 minutes in prayer and communication to God? What would that look like to actually have a conversation with God? What would it look like to spend more time with What would it be more look like if we had some planned spiritual goals and things in our life? What would it look like if we just, frankly, spent more time with God than anything else in our life? And maybe some of those things that obsess us, those things that distract us, wouldn't do it so much because we're redeeming the time. Because the days are evil. Because Satan wants to lead us away. And then verse 17 says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Uh, The third thing we get from this passage is to do life God's way. We need to do life God's way. Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. For so many of us, when it comes to knowing the will of the Lord in our life, that is such a confusing thing. And as a pastor, I get uh, questions about the will of God for people's life the most. You know, It's like, should I take this job? Should I move? I would say to Shane, no. You should come, lead worship and open. But... You know, it's whatever it is, you know, should you know, should I marry this person? Should I not? Should I be stay in this relationship? Should I not? Should I stay in this job? Should I do this? Should I do that? Should I do you know what is the Lord's will? And a lot of us we have this very finite view of the Lord's will. We say the Lord's will is this line that He's predetermined for us. And if we veer from the line, we're in trouble. If we shoot off this way or shoot off this way, and I guess I have more of a broader view of God's will because if you look at, at God's will throughout Scripture, yeah, there are times where he wants you at a particular time, a particular place, and it's very specific. But there's also times where he allows us to be humans and to make decisions. That's why he made us in the likeness of God, why he gave us minds to make decisions, that we can actually think through things on our own. And sometimes I think we get caught up in, you know, I'll pick on, on people that are, that are going to get married. Um, they, they say, you know, oh, I just don't know if this is God's will, if this is the one for me. Well, maybe God's will, maybe you have 12, you know, you've dated 12 g- girls and you, and you love them all and they're great. I just don't know which one. I'm so confused. You narrow it down to two. Oh, I'm just so confused. I don't know what the Lord's will is. What if the God's will is that you would just glorify Him in your marriage? What if that's God's will? What if it's God's will for your life that you would just glorify Him in your work? Wait, well, which, which one? I could take this job or this job. Glorify God in your work. What about the decisions about my future? You know, where am I going to go to school? What am I going to do? All of these things. What is God's will? God's will is that you walk with Him all the days of your life. That you live established in this word. You stay close to him. Maybe it's not about the what decision. Maybe it's about the who. Who he is and staying close to who he is. And to living the way that he has called you to live. Do life God's way. Therefore, do not be foolish. No one wants to be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. And then we get to verse 18, last verse, and it says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Fourth thing that we can learn from this passage is that we need to reject worldly influence and extreme indulgence. We need to reject worldly influence and extreme indulgence. Uh, That's what the word debauchery means, if you want to know there in verse 18. It means excessive indulgence and sensual pleasures that leads to a loss of control. It is an excessive indulgence in sensual pleasures that leads to a loss of control. It's not simply talking about alcohol here, but he's using that as an example. Because let me tell you what this verse is really saying to us in verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. When you are driving your car and you get pulled over and you get what's called a DUI, DUI stands for what? is driving under the influence. Under the influence of what? We would say alcohol, right? Sometimes it's drugs. Most of the time it's alcohol. Alcohol is more prevalent. If you're driving under the influence, that means you're under the influence of alcohol. What, what, what Apostle Paul is saying here is that we need to be under the influence of God more than anything else in this world because we're under the influence of the world. Think about it. If you think about your week, you're under the influence of the world so much this week. And he's saying when you come to decisions in your life about how you're going to live and what your future is and to know what the will of the Lord is, that you need to be under the influence of God's Spirit. You need to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit in your life because he's speaking the truth into your life. He's speaking through the word into your life. And he's going to tell you exactly how to live. He's going to tell you where to put those guardrails in your life so that you can direct and protect yourself and move God's way and be close to him and have that relationship with him that you've always desired and not have to deal with the sinful consequences that that you maybe you're still making today maybe some of those sinful consequences you're suffering from last night and God says wait wait a second here do not be under the influence of the world be under the influence of me and last thing from our passage this morning is to be full of God That's what he means when it says to be filled with the Spirit. And notice the Spirit there is the capital S Spirit. This is talking about God's Holy Spirit. To be full of God, to be full of His Spirit in our lives. That we would be so influenced by God to go His direction. To not go the way of the world, but to operate our life and to move in a direction toward God and not away from God, not in a direction that was toward God and now it's veered off this way, it's veered off that way, but to actually be moving in a direction that will not only mean that you have your best life, but it's a direction in life that leads to life everlasting because you're going to walk and you're going to be close to God, your Lord and Savior. And because if you want to know what the will of the Lord is, he shares it with us there. Do not be drunk on wine. Do not be under the influence, not just of alcohol, but of anything else in this world. He's using that as an example. Do not be under the influence, but be under the influence of God. Be under the influence of his spirit. And not only that, but be full of his spirit. As we come to our time of invitation this morning, and as we do every week, we're going to sing a song, give you the opportunity to respond, to walk over here, to talk to someone about your relationship with Jesus Christ, to, to have prayer. But as we come to this time this morning, it's something that we really need to contemplate. What's been more influential in your life? Let's get real. What's been more influential in your life this week? Has it been God's word? Has it been his spirit? Has it been a group of friends, perhaps? Maybe it's a hobby that just you're just obsessed with. I mean, if you were to calendar your week and say, where did I spend the most time this week? And I understand you have to go to work, and I understand you gotta, you, gotta, you know, your kids gotta go to school, and I understand there's there's things in this world that we have to do. But even in those times, would you give him praise and glory? Would you have thoughts beyond just the here and now, thoughts into eternity? Would you have thoughts of God? And would you be living life under his influence? That when people begin to see your life, they see that you're moving God's direction. And they might even take a glimpse into your life and say, whoa, 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 wait, that person has conviction." that person has established these guardrails. And sometimes the world, when you start with that, is like, ha-ha, you need guardrails there. I'm I don't need guardrails there. It's, you know, that's just for cowards. That's just for the weak, you know. But there's more people in life, I think, that will look at you and look at how you're living your life, and they'll see those guardrails as a testimony that God's done something there because God's done a work there. It's firm. This is the way I'm going in life. And I won't be under the influence of alcohol or anything else that this world has to offer. I'm going to be under the influence of God's Holy Spirit and I'm going to be moving His direction. I'm going to be laser focused on that all my life. And that's why I'm setting guardrails here with female relationships in my life. That's why I'm setting guardrails here when I go out with friends that I don't drink or that I don't drink too much. That's why I'm establishing guardrails here that I stay away from these people or I stay away from these behaviors. That's why. It's about my relationship with God, which is more important than anything else in this world. But beyond that, it's about God having influence and me allowing him to work in my life. Because when you do this and you allow these guardrails in your life, you'll feel closer to God than you ever have before. God's standard of behavior That actually becomes a matter of conviction in a believer's life. What are you sitting under influence now? What is it that Satan is using to pull you away from God? What is that area of life where you need to establish that guardrail and you just haven't? and you're flirting with disaster. There's a cliff there. It's going to be an 1,800-foot drop, and you might lose your job. You might lose your financial situation. You might lose your marriage unless you establish a guardrail and allow God to direct and protect your life. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you give us your word. I thank you that you challenge us. And I thank God that you care enough about us as your children that you give us Guidelines that you give us these guardrails in life, and it's just like us as parents, Lord, that have kids so many times. We do that for our own kids, we, we give them a curfew because we know nothing good happens after 11 o'clock at night anyway. God, we, we, we set them um, rules and parameters with their phones, and, and, and we, we do this because we love them, because we want to protect them, and we want to direct them to move your way in life. God, how much more are you, as the God of the universe, the one that would actually send? his own son, to be a sacrifice for us, care about the way we go in life. That Jesus did not die in vain. That we accept him as our Lord and Savior and begin to move our lives in your direction. God, that you love us so much, that you do extend us grace, but Lord, there's so many of us that we are still maybe wrestling with the consequences of a sinful choice we made way back when, and we have this regret in life, and we hate it. We look back, and if we're being really honest, we can see, Lord, that it was avoidable if I would have just had a guardrail your standard, God, not my standard, not the world's standard, your standard that would guide and guard my heart and my life in Christ Jesus. God, I believe all of us desire that in our hearts this morning. So lead us, Lord, to that decision. For some of us, that means we need to repent of sin. We need to repent of being under the influence of the world. For some of us, Lord, that means that we need to come to you for the first time. We need to cry out to you. But Lord, whatever decision it is that you're stirring in our hearts right now, God, I pray that we could answer it. Because God, we just have to pause and say, thank you for loving us. May we be building our future and our life around you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.